Our first reading is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. I'll just give you a minute to find the next next reading, which is 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to chapter 5, verse 5. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory <coughs> pardon me, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, <coughs> but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that in the earthly tent we that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been lovely to have you here. And uh, just while I'm getting organised here, I'll also say, um, there's the camera over there. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are new with us here at St Matthew's. Uh, My name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. 
And uh, it's my pleasure to be bringing God's Word to you today. Uh, this is uh, Atul Gawande. He's on his way. We're going to see an image of him in a moment. This is Atul Gawande. He's a, a well-known ge geriatrician who writes really well about what happens as our bodies age. Uh, this is how he starts an essay that was published in the New Yorker magazine some time ago. He says, the hardest substance in the human body is the white enamel of the teeth. With age, it wears away, allowing the softer, darker layers underneath to show through. Meanwhile, the blood supply to the pulp and the roots atrophies, the gums become inflamed and pull away from the teeth, making them unstable. Experts say that you can gauge a person's age to within five years from the examination of a single tooth if the person has any teeth left to examine. <laughs> hey, uh, aren't you glad you, talked into, uh, you tuned into this talk today on uh, getting older? In fact, the talk is about ageing well in Christ. And I hope you are glad uh, that you've tuned into this talk. See, in my own case, I know I'm getting older. I'm in good health. I love being active. Uh, but I can't run as fast as I used to. Uh, my brain is not working as fast as it once did. My glasses are getting thicker. I'm getting to know the value of allied health uh, workers uh, like physiotherapists and that sort of thing. I think there's one thing I'm getting better at though and that's forgetting things quickly. So I'm aware that things are changing in my body and I want to know how to manage uh, these years that God may give me, uh, in part so that my health uh, is sustained, in part it'd be nice uh, to live uh, quite a few extra years, but I'm, I'm really interested. What I, what I want to know ultimately is how I can use the years that God may give me for his honour and for his praise, because that's really why we're here. Uh, Gawande says, uh, people naturally prefer to avoid the subject of their decrepitude, understandably, uh, but there is a cost to averting our eyes from reality. We deprive ourselves of opportunities to change things that will help us age better. And he's particularly talking there about our, our, our health and, and, and fitness, our wellness in that sense. Uh, but, but for those of us who know the Lord Jesus... <laughs> To fail to think seriously about the years that God may give us may rob us of, of the freedom we can have from the fears that we may have. And it may rob us of the joy that we can know by knowing that day by day we are bringing pleasure to our Father in heaven. So that, that really is what this talk is about. I mean, how good would it be to escape our fears, fears that can overwhelm us about growing older? How great would it be to find a place of joy in knowing that however invisible the good works are that God has prepared for you to do each day, how, however humble they may seem to you, each day we are able to please the Lord by the way that we live. Now, the way that we're going to proceed, there's not one particular part of the Bible that address, addresses the process of ageing and getting older. So I've, I've collected uh, what the scriptures say under three headings, which we'll go through uh, consecutively. Uh, the first one is facing up to the reality that we grow old. 
Uh, the second is, is recognising that even as we age, we, we still get to live for Jesus. We live for Christ. And the third, and it's, uh, I've left the best to last in some ways, is that through the troubles that may come our way, through the sadnesses that we can know as we get older, we have hope. So let's start with growing old. Now the psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 103, a much-loved psalm, a beautiful psalm. But it says in verse 15, Our life is like grass. We flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. So for all the positives of getting older, uh, that it's right to think about, there is no, no pleasure at all in the process of withering, like the grass of the field, of, of failing sight, of declining strength and suppleness, uh, of loss of hearing, that the struggle to get out of a chair, uh, let alone safely navigate your way down a set of steps. So there is an irreversible process that is taking place in our bodies which not even the best exercise programs or, or, or diets or, or medical interventions can ultimately stop. Uh, they may um, defer uh, those unfortunate developments in our bodies, but ultimately our bodies run down and ultimately our lives in this world come to an end. The scriptures help us understand why this happens and that helps, I think. Why this process of ageing and moving towards decrepitude takes place. Uh, it's right there at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 where we learn that the first man and the first woman effectively walked away from God. And we've been living and dying with the consequences of that ever since. They chose to ignore God's ways and to assert their own. And so our world is filled with trouble. And our lives will end, inevitably. Now, these are not pleasant realities to consider, but being honest is far better than hiding from the truth, than imagining that positive thinking and strength of will or remarkable advances in medicine will do anything but delay the inevitable. In this fallen world, we grow older and we die. But that's not the end of our story, wonderfully. In a wondrous development, the Lord Jesus came into our world and became one of us. And his coming and his death and his resurrection have changed everything. See, Jesus shows, in his resurrection especially, that he has defeated our mortal enemy, death, and the allied enemies of sin and of Satan. Jesus shows in his death and resurrection that he deserves the honour and praise of everybody, everywhere. So yes, we grow old, but we are made to live for Christ today. As uh, the Apostle says, if we had have read on into the end of chapter 5 of, of 2 Corinthians, he says, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised again. Now in this section on living for Christ, I'm going to tell the stories of two people. Um, see, what might it look like if you're a young old, if you're a healthy 60-year-old and you're pondering retirement? What would it look like for you to live 
for him who died for you and rose again? Or what would it look for you if you're quite a bit older and you're not so well anymore, in fact you're very frail and you need to be in full-time care, you're, you find yourself in an aged care facility full-time. The stories that I'm going to tell are of Terry and of Alison. Uh, their stories are told in a book by Andrew Cameron, a book I've found very helpful personally, but also very helpful in preparing this talk. The book is called Living in the Next Phase. And uh, the first story he tells is, uh, is of Terry. Now, we, 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 we used to go to church with Terry, and uh, we were around him as his story that's related in Andrew's book uh, was unfolding. Uh, we saw Ster uh, Terry move towards stepping back from a very senior role. He was the CEO of a large commercial company. Uh, he was over hundreds of people, um, budgets of tens of millions of dollars, that sort of thing. He stepped out of that work in early retirement. He could afford to do that. And he joined the staff team of the church I was working at back in the 90s, the late 90s. And one of the things he did was he was a layman. Uh, he'd had no formal training in theology. He did some diploma-level uh, studies in theology. And he found himself coming alongside some of his peers to encourage them to keep growing in Christ as they aged. Uh, he also came along some of his friends, some of the people that he rubbed shoulders with in a club that he was a part of. And he was quite deliberately doing what he could to lead them to Christ. Probably the thing that took the most of his time was he, he also came alongside one of our younger ministers who was establishing a new church in a new suburb. He was tremendously useful in that setting. And it was also helpful to me. I, I was uh, uh, running a little training program, an apprenticeship program full-time for people who were moving towards going into full-time theological training. So an apprenticeship in ministry and we needed to raise some fun funds uh, to fund that work and Terry was really helpful putting together a committee and doing stuff that I couldn't do. Now I just want, want you to think about the difference between the decisions Terry took when he could afford to and the decision the man took in the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. I mean in some ways the bloke that Jesus speaks of there is really living the great Australian dream because uh, he's worked hard, he's, he's got enough that he can afford just to sit back and relax, just to enjoy himself. But Jesus is piercing in his critique of the decisions this man has made because he's living for himself and he's not living for God. He's not living for the one who, who, who would die and rise for him. So Jesus calls this rich man with all the world at his feet, it seems, a fool. See, Terry did so much better, didn't he? Terry, uh, Jesus calls the man a fool because we're not made to live for ourselves. Uh, in so many ways, that trivialises who we are. We're made to live for God. And for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, to live for him who died for us and who rose again. Now, I'm really interested in Terry's story because he's part of a massive cohort of people here in Australia and across the developed world. Uh, we are the healthiest, wealthiest uh, uh, generation that's ever lived in terms of the, the sort of decisions that are open to us. So we've got this group here in Australia of 60-somethings and 70-somethings uh, born since the war, the, the baby boom, boomers. All these choices before us. So much has been given to us, so many opportunities and consider what Terry did with his enviable options. 
he, he used some creative discernment to use what a lot of people call retirement. But he wasn't retiring. He was transitioning into a different kind of work. And he was able to find his way onto the staff team of the church. And it was tremendously beneficial for the church. But, but not only did he make those great decisions, think about what, what sat behind those decisions and, and the way that he worked them out. I think it's quite remarkable that someone who was used to being the boss of hundreds of people with the massive budgets to work with and to be responsible for, to deliberately submit himself to the leadership of a younger minister, and my co-worker there, Neil. He willingly did that, and that, that was an expression of his godliness. It is also a step of faith for him not, not to trust in his earnings, but to trust his life and uh, the life of his family to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying everyone should do exactly what Terry did, but anyone who is in a, situ in a situation a bit like his, his, I think has got a lot to learn from people like him. Let me take you to Alison's story, which is quite a different kind of story. Now, I didn't know Alison, but I, I do know her son, Andrew Cameron, who wrote the book, and he's writing about his mum. So Alison, uh, at the time of writing, is an elderly widow who's, who's known and served Jesus for a long time. And uh, she's profoundly influenced the lives of others, not least her children and her family, but, but much wider than that. But now she finds herself quite frail and no longer, to, no longer able to extend that really positive influence that she has in the lives of others. There's a lot of things she can't do, but her life shows the fruit of someone who has followed the Lord Jesus for many years, who's learnt what it means to live for him who died and rose for her, not to live for herself, but for him. So what it looks like for her in the aged care facility is every day she lists things to be thankful for to God. And a lot of them come out of her singing of hymns, which remind her of how much there is to be thankful just for God himself and what he's done for us in Christ. And when people come to visit her, uh, she could complain because she hadn't seen them for so long, but instead she welcomes them and she asks them, Andrew describes this, open-ended questions. She wants to know how they are. And she was a woman who enjoyed showing hospitality. She doesn't have much to offer, but she will share uh, her biscuits or, or share a box of chocolates or arrange for a cup of tea. And, and she's got her eyes open she can see how much work the staff at the aged care facility have to do. She empathises with their days when they're, they're hurried and harried. And so she looks for opportunities just to encourage them with things that she's thankful for, that she sees in them, that, that they do for her. See, Alison has wisdom and maturity. <laughs> she shows that. It seeps out of her. In, in her uh, aged care bed and in, in her room. I, I love what the Proverbs say about the older person. Uh, Proverbs 20 verse 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair is the splendor of the old. See, the young person, they've got youth and vigor on their side. Although not all of them do. For many, it's, it's a difficult time of life. The old person has wisdom and maturity. 
although not all do on that front either. But of course, Alison shows it in so many ways because by the time she's sitting in the nursing home, she's made a million little decisions during her life, which shows that she's learning to live for Christ and not for herself. She's spent a lifetime since she's turned to Jesus of building virtues into her life which seep out of her, even in a situation which is quite unenviable. By the way, it's never too late to start. Uh, we sadly farewelled uh, our brother Wal Edwards recently at the age of 104. Wal was a man who didn't turn to Christ till he got to his 80s. But gee, he used his latter years well. He learned more and more to serve the Lord and God gave him a great capacity into his 90s and even after he'd notched up 100 years. It's very interesting. The New Testament has about 20 lists of the virtues we learn as we live for Christ, as we follow Christ. I've got a list of them here up on the screen. I think there's 21 of them here that I could find. Endurance, faith, gentleness, godliness, goodness, holiness, hospitality, impartiality, joy, kindness, love, mercy, obedience, patience, peace, purity, righteousness, self-control, sincerity, submission, truth. Now, virtues like that have, have, have matured in a woman like Alison. So they now seep out of her even in a most unenviable situation in life. So Terry and Alison, uh, there are just two people who in very different ways are living for Christ as they get older. Now there's so much more to say about living in Christ, living for Christ, living for the one in whom we live. So much more to say about it. And in some ways it's the subject of every sermon you hear. It's, it's what you're reading about every time you open the scriptures. And isn't it fabulous that, that the vision the scriptures give to the person who is growing older is that you can glorify God, you can bring him delight as you take hold of the opportunities that he gives you each day to trust him and to show that you follow him. So we grow old, we get to live for Jesus every day, and we can find great comfort in the difficulties that are associated with ageing, with the hardships. Uh, the New Testament is full of eager expectation. We have hope. We live with hope. The New Testament is full of the eager expectation of a time when the Lord Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will renew and reorder this fallen world. So as we heard from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 before, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. See, that's where our hope is. And remember that as Paul writes this, he's in the middle of describing how he himself is in a circumstance where he has been pretty badly beaten up. From what I can judge, he's in midlife, but he has prematured early. 
He's, uh, prem he's prematurely aged. And he now lives with a chronic, painful, physical ailment. He later calls it in 2 Corinthians, a thorn in the flesh. That's why he says, uh, outwardly we're wasting away, uh, which might resonate with you if you are living with the body with increasing troubles, with multiple issues. He says, outwardly we're wasting away, but it's very clear that his spirit is not broken. So he says in chapter 4, verse 1, we do not lose heart. And in case you missed the point, before the end of chapter 4, he says again, we do not lose heart. And why is this? It's because of our hope. It's because of our hope in Christ. See, how, how can you live with, with disabling and painful physical ailments? How can you live with the grief of things you've lost? Maybe you really just miss that, that recognition you once had, how people looked up to you, but now they ignore you. Maybe you miss that husband or wife other things that you've lost, others that you've lost. The older you get, the more funerals you go to and you, you lose your peers. How can you live with, with those things which can weigh so heavily on us? Well, if you know Jesus, it's by clinging to what you know. That the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will one day raise us with Jesus. And on that day, we'll be given a new body. <laughs> no more arthritis. No more heart disease, no more cancer, no more tears because of the place that we'll be in. See, they, these bodies that we live in, as wondrous as they are, they're weak and flimsy compared with the new body that will be ours when we are raised with Jesus. The new body we get will be frankly glorious, wondrous. It'll be a body in which there's no more arthritis as I said, or heart, heart disease or cancer, because that old order of things will have passed away. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, because we'll be inhabiting new and better bodies, vastly improved bodies, and we'll find ourselves in a new home, a new home that the Lord Jesus has prepared especially for us. And each day we live here is a day we get closer to that wonderful day. See, in this life we are growing older. But in this life we're on a journey towards what you might describe as a far country that we've never been to. But in that far country there is a very well-known inhabitant. The Lord Jesus will welcome us to be with him in our eternal home. And it'll be a place where we will know him then in, in such a way that it will be the cause of endless wonder and of delight. So as we heard earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's why we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and they can feel very heavy, our light and moment, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's wonderful to think that our sufferings now will seem a small thing. Such is the glory that will be ours as we're raised with Christ. And so he says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Hope you like this image that we're finishing with. One final image to wrap up with. I, I would like to think that this bloke here is not just happy because he's got the knees, he's got the hips, maybe they're replacement knees, maybe they're replacement hips, but he's got the knees and hips to, to swing a, a, a hula hoop. I, I hope that's not what makes him ultimately happy. I hope this bloke is happy because he knows the joy of living for Christ. And he knows the hope, the hope that is ours, that one day he will welcome us with new bodies into our new eternal home, a place where we'll sing the praise of the one who died and rose again for us. Well, we can't sing here in the church building. Sorry, Brenda. I know you